Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Hello, everyone. This is Peter and Kristen coming to you from our Maryland homestead, and this is the Great Planting episode. Wow, you're setting us up for um, some high expectations. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to talk about all of our hard-fought lessons from the last five years as we've tried to grow a homestead from seed and nut and tree. And not knowing at all what we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I really think it's kind of interesting in our generation how far we've come from gardening. I mean, I think with the perfect lawn trend where everybody wants this perfect lawn that can't even have a dandelion in it and just the convenience of being able to buy food, we've really fallen away from knowing how to garden. It's not something that we're that we learn. It's not something that we're taught in schools. But I think it's just essential to being human, to be able to kind of work in nature and grow food. Saying I don't like gardening is essentially like saying I don't care about food or I don't care about beauty. And these are things that are really placed in the depths of the human person, I think. Yeah, I didn't care about gardening at all before. And it does, the contrast to that now seems obvious to me that we live in a world surrounded by green things. And mm-hmm. I should know something about them. They're they're outside everybody's door, you know, and w- what are all of these plants and how to make them grow properly and right. all I that mean, knowledge. Right now, our garden is so successful and we have learned everything. We did not know anything five years ago. So five years ago, if you asked me about gardening, I would say, oh, I don't care about gardening or right. <laughs> I can't garden. My flowers always die. I would just kill everything. Yeah. I just didn't care. Um, and I, so, you know, we're just, we're learning and we want to share kind of what we're learning. It was funny. I went to, a, I went to a garden center um, cause I wanted to buy some plants. So I like to, we grow everything from seed. If we're going to eat it or use it medicinally, we like it to be from seed. But if I'm trying out a new plant, well, other than your fruit trees, your fruit trees, we, yeah. don't, we no, buy them. We've done a lot not from seed, but when you want to have hundreds of herbs, you know, you want to do a lot of them from seed because right. there's just no way to buy all those Well, plants. our vegetables all come from seed. Our, um, yeah, our herbs come from seed. But if I'm just trying out something or I want something just for beauty, just to look at, and I'm not going to use it, I'm not gonna, we're not going to ingest it, then I might go to a garden center and buy a plant. But it's funny to me, even the garden center people don't know anything about plants. Yeah. So I, I went to the garden center and I wanted some hanging ferns for this shaded area that on our patio because I, I love I've fallen in love with plants of all kinds, and so I'm going. I go over to the fern section, and they have these hanging ferns. And so I'm, I'm looking at the tag, and it says this plant needs full sun. And I'm like, well, this is weird. Why would a plant? Why would a fern need full sun? They grow. They every fern I know about is a shade plant. So I asked this gardening guy. I'm like, excuse me, can this plant grow in the shade? And the gardening guy just looks at the tag and is like, no, this this needs full sun. And I'm thinking, okay, thank you, gardening person. Like I can read the tag. Thank you. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't trust this tag. I'm going to grow it in full shade. Cause I know ferns can grow in full shade. And it did beautifully. It did. They looked gorgeous all summer long in, in the shaded patio. And then another time I'm like, I found this citronella plant that is supposed to keep kind of bugs away. And I wanted to grow a citronella plant and try that out. And I'm asking, I asked the garden person, is this, does this citronella, is it a perennial or is this an annual? And he clearly had no idea what a perennial or an annual was. So I'm like, okay, well, thank you again. <laughs> and I call Pete. And I'm like, can you research certain citronella? It's an annual and it's gorgeous. It gets huge. Um, I guess it can come back if you really protect it and maybe bring it in for the for the winter. Um, but recently, it was funny. I have these this gorgeous row of salvias um, called Maynite salvia. 
and they just bring this beautiful splash of color in the early summer. And I needed some extra ones to kind of fill in the gaps. So I go with my kids. I have four kids. I go to the gardening center and I found this pot and says salvia. So I'm like, okay, I wonder if this is the same as my May night salvia. Cause if it's in a row, I don't want this to be a different type of salvia. It wasn't flowering or anything. So I was like, so I asked this lady, I'm like, excuse me, is this salvia? May night, is this the same as May night salvia or is this a different type of salvia? And she's like, oh, I don't know anything about the plants. I just water them. But those guys over there, those are the gardening experts. So I, I asked her, I'm like, what makes them, what makes them gardening experts? Like, I guess now I, I want to see your credentials if you know about gardening. Yeah. And she's like, Where's well, your degree? they grow everything from seed. They, they know everything about all these plants. So I go over to the gardening experts and I'm like, excuse me, is this, is this the same as May night salvia or is this a different type of salvia? And they're like, oh, we have no idea. So I'm like, thank you. Thank you, gardening experts. Thank you so much for your expertise advice. Yeah. Um, but then I'm like so annoyed. I have my kids with me and, and they see this like spring gun looking thing. And they're like, mom, what is, what is that? And I was like, that, that's poison. That is poisonous. People, I'm like really loud. because I'm like totally annoyed. Like that's poison that people spray all over their yards. But yeah. it's really hard to find gardening information. And, you know, you turn to the internet and you find just tons of conflicting things and people don't really always know what they're talking about. So um, it's really something you just have to do and learn. I really feel like you have to do it, yeah. learn from doing it. And so much of it is context specific that, you know, how much sunlight a plant gets is just one element of a whole bunch of variables that go into whether that plant grows well or not. And then the placement of it on the property and where the sunlight is and where we, where we want certain things. And it, it's taken a lot of time and we've moved a lot of plants around trying to figure out where do we actually want the gardens. And, and I think it, yeah, I think you're right. It just, you have to learn by doing and that, in 20 years, we'll have it right, but it right. will be a process to get there. And learning, it can be really frustrating when you have failure, um, you know, or you put a lot of work into something and it, it didn't work out like you had hoped. And that's a lot of gar- <laughs> a lot of gardening for me is moving things around. Like right. I'll plant something because I'm still even learning about what the plants look like, if I like them or not. And a lot of times something, I'll put something in as a seed and I'll have this idea from a picture of what it will look like. And then it didn't turn out that way. And then I have to spend time ripping it out. And, and at first I used to be like really frustrated with myself. Like, why did I, oh, I just wasted so much time. Why did I put that there? And now I've learned, like, I'm just not going to get frustrated <laughs> with myself. I'm just going to see it as well, now I know more about that plant that most people would never even know what that plant is. It's and really strange the first time you have to replant something that you planted. So two things happen is you're trying to plant something and it happens to us. It happens to a lot of our friends. So I think it's probably universal. You get just really stressed out. Like, where do I put this? I don't know if this is the right place. What should I do? Is this, you know, and you, right. you really second guess yourself a whole bunch and you finally plant it. And then you realize a day, a week or a year later that it's the wrong spot. And it's like... Yes. I don't, well, I don't want to replant it. It's a perennial. Yeah. Know? Well, one of my books, so I did catnip. Catnip is, you know, that that herb that really makes cats really crazy. It's also just highly medicinal for people. And I read in a book, okay, this plant gets to be 12 inches. So I was like, oh, this will be a great little kind of understory plant for some other plants that I'm doing. And the catnip, oh my gracious, it just took over. It was like three feet tall, just huge everywhere. And I had done eight catnip plants because I thought it was going to be this low little ground thing. And then I'm like, I can't look at this. I can't handle this. But I didn't want to, you know, kill it because it's a great medicinal plant. So I just 
moved at all, you know, and it, that was a lot of work. It was, it had, yeah. the roots were insane on this thing. So I'm like trying to dig out the roots and then trying to carry it over to this other place and took me the whole day. And, but it's a great workout. I mean, yeah. it was a lot. Of, and I was really annoyed <laughs> at myself. Um, but how would I have known the, the book I read said it was a 12 inch plant, not a three foot plant, but, um, you know, now I know more about catnip than your average person. I, I learned a lot and, yeah. um, I mean, it's a, it is an out of control plant. I'll tell you that, but that's great. If you have an area that you want something to take over that you can use this herb. And I mean, it's just, it's a really easy yeah, plant to over. grow. Just, it, it takes over. So the other one was I was planting the very first trees in my forest garden. I transplanted them from our old house. I dug them up there, brought them back in our minivan, which is my truck. And then, <laughs> And then was planting them, and I planted like two or three of them. And Kristen came out, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "What? What do you mean? Like, I'm? It's a forest." So where you were like, "But, but where are the rows?" And you're like, "Well, there are no rows. You just, it's kind of they're just you just plant wherever you want because it's a forest." And she's like, "I don't think you want to do that. You know, you know, we no order to it at all." Yeah, you were really annoyed at me. We had a lot. I of didn't want gardening. to transplant something that I just transplanted. Well, I was like, "This looks." Like chaos. This looks awful. Yeah. It was a lot of trees that you were just like putting everywhere. I was like, that yeah. just looks terrible. So anyway, <laughs> I took her advice and looking back, it would have been awful if there was no order to it at all. Now mm-hmm. the trees are in are in rows, at least in one direction, they're in rows and it's beautiful and it's orderly and Yeah. Yeah. So you just gotta be willing to, to I do was it like, sometimes. what is the plan here? This is just this yeah. is crazy. <laughs> so So here's the other thing is that a lot of the planting uh, advice that's out there is for people who are doing a small kitchen garden or two fruit trees or something. And so there's a lot of things you can do if you just want to do a tiny little garden. And you can manage that thing any way you want. You can have raised beds with pure compost and go out there every day and weed it. And it's not going to be a big deal because you're just doing a small area. But we want to scale this up to the homestead level and I work a full-time job, and we have four kids, and we don't want to spend our whole life weeding and watering. So how do you do that? And that's, that's the hard part, is where's the information out there about how to scale this up so that you can have a garden the size of an acre and not actually be spending that much time having to do the manual management parts of mm-hmm. that. So that's a lot of information that we've had to find, and we've had to sift through a lot to get it. So the first thing that we had, we've talked about this before, the first thing we saw was the permaculture orchard, and that's Stefan Saboliak in uh, Miracle Farms in Canada, and he is putting in, has put in this permaculture orchard, and it was just, it was so nice to watch this, and it was, it was visionary to us, and, and one of the things that's going on there is that there's this, this massive diversity of plants in his orchard, and it's multi-storied, so He's got his canopy layer, which is the trees, and then beneath that he has bushes and shrubs, and beneath that are herbaceous things and ground covers and then uh, some, some mushrooms. And so we wanted all of those layers too, so that's what we've been putting in. We've been putting in trees and then blueberry bushes and gooseberry bushes and goji berry bushes and all these bushes, and beneath that we're starting to add in herbs but ground quickly, covers. some of his suggestions were a little, we didn't take, like he does a locust tree kind of in between a lot of the plants for a yeah. nitrogen fixer, but we didn't. Yeah, we didn't do the nitrogen fixer thing because, well, we have cows and chickens and, right. and, 
excessive amounts of compost. So right, and I just we're didn't like the idea nitrogen. of a huge locust tree in a f- orchard. That I don't right. know that. So you don't have to. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of times, like this spring, I got some gardening books out for fun to read them, and I just I got so stressed out by them, and I because you don't have to do something the exact same way that somebody else did. You can take elements right. of what they did and you know make it kind of work for you. But if you try to if you try to take someone's entire gardening style, I mean, that comes out of the personality. You're gonna, right. you're gonna really, um, yeah. It's like trying to take on someone else's personality. You're gonna stress out, and you're, you're not gonna be able to right. do it. So, I mean, it's good to read those things if you can just take little things. I mean, for me, I was like, oh, too much. I can't. Yeah. Can't take this. <laughs> yeah. No, and it was visionary in certain respects. But okay, so there's this problem when you have a massive garden. And the problem is everything wants to grow there. So you can't just have fruit trees completely surrounded by sod and weeds. They're going to take all of the nutrients and all the, the moisture, and the tree's not going to get a whole lot. So what do you do about that? And in Miracle Farm, Stefan puts down what they call plastic mulch, which is just plastic sheets, and then he makes holes and plants uh, things within it. And that works for him. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And the main reason I didn't want to do that is I did not want our farm to become infested with mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. So you have all that plastic on the ground. It's going to create puddles everywhere, and the mosquitoes are going to come out in full force. Uh, so that was pro- that's probably the main reason we didn't want to do it. And the other reason we didn't want to do it is we saw Back to Eden, the film Back to Eden. Mm-hmm. And that would be the other thing to check out that's been completely inspirational to us. That's really where we've gotten, that's what we've done, basically. That's what we've done, yeah. So it's a combination of those two things. But in Back to Eden, the method is to put down deep mulch. So we have a tree guy near us, and it could be any kind of organic material. It could even be rocks, I suppose. But we have a tree guy near us, and he brings us wood chips and dumps them by the truckload. Um, he, he drives out onto the pasture forest where we were building our forest garden and just right. dumps them, and I spread them out. And when we say deep mulch, if you think you have to go to a garden store and buy little packets of mulch, like there's no, no way. way. Not possible. I mean, so mulch companies have to pay to dump their, like tree companies. Around here. Yeah, yeah. they have to pay to dump their mulch. So what people do around here is, hey, I'll take your mulch. You know, and that's free for them to dump their mulch, and then you get free mulch. I mean, we have we have an entire—is it an acre or a half-acre orchard? How big is our yeah, orchard? It's, it's every bit of an acre. Yes, and it's just covered in probably, what, a foot of mulch, everything? Minimum 12 inches we put down, and then I actually got deeper the further I went with it because we realized it actually breaks down really fast. Right. And, and Paul Gauchi, who did the Back to Eden film, says it will, especially for the first few years. It's going to break down quickly. So we put it down. I started at 12 inches. By the time we got to the last garden, I was doing it 18 inches. Thick. Right, right. And it was completely free. So, I mean, we would have... what? I mean, there's no way. We couldn't have even bought enough mulch in the garden store to fill up what we've Yeah, done. it would have been thousands And it would have been thousands of dollars. And um, this has been just completely free. And so a lot of people we know get mulch, too. And you can just kind of text a... You can get these these comp- tree companies number and text them when you want some mulch, and they yep. come and drop it off. Right. So the the deep mulch does a number of things, and the first thing it does is that that automatic weed suppression and sod suppression. So we were planting into a pasture that had thick grass everywhere, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you you know if you try to plant into that, it's really really difficult. You got to you got to cut through basically several inches of really thick weeds and mass, and then plant into that. Um, and then what do you do with all of that material, all the grass material and everything? Um, it's funny. I remember at our we. 
we had, I had this experience of planting for the planting trees for the first time at our old house. And so, you know, I, I, I read a book and went to the garden store and they had a pamphlet there and I took it home and I'm consulting my little pamphlet and mm-hmm. I've got, we got 10 trees and I started planting them. And they, they told me you had to, you know, dig this massive hole and then mix a whole bunch of compost into it. And that's what most of the advice tells you to mix compost into the hole that you dug. Which is a terrible idea. <laughs> a terrible idea. Especially where we are, it's, it's very clay soil. And what's going to happen if you put all of this tilthy compost into the middle of a, a clay hole? You're basically, it's like a cup. And it's just going to be filled with moisture all the time and rot out the roots. And, and not only that, it's just not necessary, we found out. You, know, you, can put, mm-hmm. you can put all that compost right on top, right on top of the soil, and then cover it in wood chips and... Let the worms worms dig it into the soil. They'll mm-hmm. figure out how to do it mm-hmm. um, without changing the entire complexity of the soil. So anyway, I was I was adding compost in, digging this massive hole, and I was carrying uh, the sod over in a wheelbarrow and dumping it like on the side of the hill somewhere, which was also ridiculous because it was so much that that was double the amount of work it would have been having to carry all this sod. And we watched permaculture orchard. And Stefan's planting a tree into the middle of, of a grassy pasture area, and he just takes out a big box, right? Cuts the box so there's a so he can fit it around the tree, and then dumps some some uh, nutrients and wood chips on top of it and walks away. It's like it <laughs> hmm. was so much easier. So he put the box down, and as soon as that got wet, it you know suffocated the grass, so mm-hmm. you didn't have to worry about the grass. All of that organic material just turned into. Uh, fertilizer and worked itself back you know it was already in the soil he didn't have to disturb all of the microbe communities and um, and the box you know cardboard is it's basically just carbon so it's going to disintegrate and turn back to soil itself so anyway if you're just planting a tree or two i would say put a box around it put a bunch of wood chips on top of it and you should be good to go well what about like tape all over the box you wouldn't want you mean like no pull the cardboard. tape off yeah well i just did i got my stuff or you bought me that big roll of paper what was that paper called like sh- yeah the- well we'll get to that we'll okay. get to the paper so then the other thing was and this was funny is you know if you buy we, we were buying trees and they were in pots and if a tree is like a year or two or three years old in a pot it's going to be root bound it's just going to be and root bound means that the roots grow out and then they hit the side of the pot and they start spinning around the pot because they have nowhere left to grow. And so the little pamphlet that I had said, you know, if it's root bound, this is a problem and pull the wheat or pull the roots out. And I got so stressed out. I like, I like freaked out a little bit because I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was afraid I was going to screw up my trees. So I like very gingerly pulled out a few of the roots and then planted it <clears throat> after kind of freaking out a little bit because I didn't know what to do. And, uh, and I, I, I just didn't realize, you know, if something's root bound, and they always will be when you're grown into pots like that, you can just take it by the handful. All of the roots that need to be pulled out are right around the edge because that's where they hit the plastic. And you just pull them out. I was afraid, what if I broke the roots? And it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you break some of the roots. That's fine. So I did a, I did a mediocre job at pulling the roots out of this root bound plant. But, but I came back a year and a half later to transplant these trees because we had gone to our new property and not a single one of them was root bound. Mm-hmm. Like they, the trees had figured it out. So 
Do you even now? Now when you get a fruit tree, you don't do anything. To I do. Roots. No, oh, I always do. pull the roots oh, okay. out. I didn't know that. Yeah, I always pull the roots out because it's just going to help them grow in the right direction. They're going right. to be growing out instead of in a circle, and yeah. and maybe. I don't know. Maybe some percentage of the time the tree can figure it out, and maybe sometimes it can. Right. But um, in, that, in that case, I transplanted eight trees, and every single one of them was growing very right. nicely. So Yeah. All right. So so the deep mulch does some other really neat things, and I don't want to get too much into it because it would really just be better to see it anyway, and I would go watch those two videos. Go watch Back to Eden and watch the permaculture orchard video. Well, back to Eden, Paul Gauchy just has tons and tons of YouTube videos, right? So you don't even And there's also a ton of YouTube videos. Yeah. I would watch the the film first and then, you know, you can you can watch Is the more. film on YouTube or do you have to buy the film? The back it's to online Eden. for free. Yeah, you don't back have to, to yeah, you don't have to buy it. Okay. Um, but it, the, the wood chips do a lot of other things. It's, you know, they provide this incredible amount of moisture. Moisture in the ground comes from organic material. It's, you know, by a factor of 10 to 100, ground will hold moisture better if there's higher organic material in it. And so when you put all of that, those wood chips on top and the worms start taking that material down into the ground is your ground stays moist. Like here in Maryland, we have a a decently dry July and August every year and the ground stays perfectly moist the Mm -hmm. whole time. Um, And then it does other things. Uh, provides for this microbial content. I dig down into the mulch now, and it's just full of mycelium, which is, which is the fungus. And we even added some wine cap mushrooms to ours, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just it's this beautiful material. And then you get down to the dirt, and the dirt's completely soft. You can stick your finger down into it; it's so soft. And there's so many worms. And there's worms everywhere. Yeah, oh my gosh! Really healthy soil. Yeah, we we were planting some this year, and I. There were areas where I put a shovel into the ground, pulled it out, and I could easily see 20 worms just in one well, shovel full. You know what's crazy what I learned? Because a lot of times I'll go to a gardening bed in the, on this property, and the previous owner had put down these, um, what are they called? Uh, so under Weed the- suppression fabric. Yeah, like this fabric is under the- um, under the mulch where she had some garden beds, and that keeps the weeds from coming up. But then I would rip through that, that what is it, carpet thing, whatever it is, yeah. that- fabric and the soil under it was just dry and dead yeah, and there keeps was the worms no worms. from coming through too. <laughs> it was just yeah. I mean and I tried to I ripped it out and tried to grow some plants in it because I knew it wasn't you know a great idea for like my herbs and they did they didn't actually live because the soil was just so incredibly nothing just dry and no worms or right no moisture in it right right yeah and then and then um it's really neat some weeds do eventually germinate and you can either just get them from with a gardening rake or if it's something big like a dandelion, you can just pull it and it comes right out because everything's so soft. Right. You think about pulling a dandelion out in the middle of your yard and it's just going to snap off. You're not going to get the root most of the time. Mm-hmm. And you can have this, you know, these massive dandelions and a root, you know, two feet long comes out with it. It's well, you, incredible. Yeah, so in, in the deep mulch, when, when a weed germinates, you just, yeah. Go through and just pull because it's only growing in the mulch, basically. Right. You just pull it right out. Right. It's great. And sometimes there's a weed will germinate. And I won't know what it was, and be like, I'm just gonna let this grow and see what it is because it's not a big deal. I can come by at any point and just pull it out. But right. Want to right. see what it is first. Right. All right. So that's the deep mulch. Now here's the problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of a big one. It's really hard to plant in. Mm-hmm. For like the first you put few years. twelve to eighteen inches of wood chips down, and then you want to plant in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so hard. Yes. And that's that's because it's brand new and it hasn't broken down yet much, and and it's it's something you just got to get through the for for the first couple of years. 
Right. So you have to basically, so picture 18 inches of mulch, but you don't plant in the mulch. You have to dig down to the ground. So you, we basically have to dig down and put our seeds in that dirt. And it's a lot of work to dig down through that, except for potatoes and sweet potatoes. Yeah. So there's a lot of things. It wasn't even worth planting initially. Yeah. Now it was, it was more work initially to plant the trees because you had to pull it back, dig a hole, put the tree in it and put Mm -hmm. all the mulch back. And that it's definitely more work. Um, except that you then don't have any sod to deal with. Or watering. Helps. You don't have to water. But then you don't have to water it, and you don't have to suppress the weeds about it, and it's getting fertilizer. I mean, it's all these benefits come, and it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Right. But when you want to plant small, fragile things in it, the you know the they just get knocked over. Yeah. And, well, we'll talk about that. Okay. But uh, talk about the potatoes. Just that, that, Those were the best things to grow in the mulch. Right. So, okay, this is your first year doing it or your second year doing it. The, the place to start, I think, is potatoes and sweet potatoes and maybe onion sets, you know, it's not the onion seeds, but the sets, because what you can do, oh, and garlic, definitely garlic, mm. but you can, you can, you know, my son and I planted a whole bunch of potatoes. I had a, a pitchfork with uh, kind of the solid spindles on it, not, not a flimsy one, but a nice solid pitchfork. I dug it into the ground, pushed up on it so there was a couple inches there. Stuck the potato down into the ground. I could get it mostly near the bottom and then pull the pitchfork out. And my potato was planted just that easy. But you didn't get down into the dirt. You just I did didn't. It I put it mulch. on top of the dirt. On top of the dirt. Under the mulch uh-huh. on top of the dirt. And big root vegetables like that. Don't cut your potatoes up. Just put the whole potato down there or the whole sweet potato. Um, or I raked away, say, half the mulch and put the onion sets in. And they're all coming up and look gorgeous right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the roots will, will grow down into the dirt enough, and then the, the potatoes grow out into the wood chips, and you never have to hill them because there's already all these wood chips on top of them. Yeah, we just had such an amazing potato harvest last year, yep. all from just putting them into the mulch. That was the best thing. Like that, that was awesome. Right. So I would say if it's your first couple of years and you just did all of this, start with your trees, maybe plant some potatoes and stuff into it. And then give it a year. Give it a year just to start to compact and break down. And uh, here's the good news. This is the good news. Our first garden that we put in is now three years old. We went out. My son raked away the top like two inches. My eight-year-old son raked away the top two inches of wood chips. And then we planted rows of lettuce, Mm -hmm. which are the tiniest of the seeds. I don't know if they're the tiniest, but they're tiny. These tiny little lettuce seeds, and now we have rows of lettuce and kale coming up. Mm-hmm. And we planted those into, you know, because the trees are still small and it still gets full sun in the middle of them. We planted those into the rows. Right. So what, what is so hard initially becomes mm-hmm. a lot easier uh, because a lot of the wood chips break down. Right. And now you just have this beautiful right. uh, soil. Right. So you watch this Back to Eden video and you get all excited, but then you have to realize, okay, it's going to be a few years before I can really successfully plant seedlings in here. Right. So um, what he recommends is if you're doing a kitchen garden or something is to start with four to six inches of wood chips. That way you really can just rake it to the side right? Um, and, and maybe you know add a little bit over the next several years. Right. But it breaks down. And now our first, we have four gardens with pathways in between, four huge gardens. And the first garden was... A, is just very easy to plant in now, and it's just, it's wonderful. Gardening just, oh my gosh, I mean, 
it, it grows patience in you. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, we just want immediate, I mean, for me, it was like, oh, it was painful. I just wanted, I saw this vision in my head of what I wanted to be. I saw these videos and then you just have to wait. And that just is so hard, but yeah. Um, and we want everything instantly yeah. and we're kind of still coming away from that Right. where you're just like, I want it. I need to have it now. Right. And you got to have patience. I was, I was listening to Jeff Lawton, who's like one of the biggest permaculture guys out there. And he was just talking about how if a project is done right, it starts small mm-hmm. and it grows. It grows as organically as a tree grows and a tree starts small and then, you know, steady growth every year and you get to build on top of that. And he gets wary when you have a project that that is really flashy at the beginning. And then is that just going to degrade if all the proper systems are in place? Is it, mm-hmm. is it just going to degrade over time? And and so that's what our homestead has been. You know, it's, it's growing every year. Right. And the same thing with these deep mulch gardens is they start out, you know, unimpressive with just little trees sticking out and then, right. and then they grow over time. I will say one thing that I noticed in the deep mulch too is it's a great place to do... Um, really hardy vegetables that grow quickly, like your mm-hmm. squashes, your uh, even cucumbers, things like watermelons. Yeah. They, they push through so fast and they make it out of the mulch and they do, like we dig down, plant those seeds and they do okay. Or the sunflowers. Yeah. They're great. You have these strong seedlings yes. and then the vines come out and go everywhere. Right. And and what's so neat is the, the wood chips are always wet, but the top is always dry. Right. So the the squash come out and then these big, huge 20 pound squashes grow, but they don't ever get gross underneath because right. they're always sitting on top of dry wood chips. Right. If you have it sitting on the ground, it's going to collect moisture. And I think you people go and turn them or something. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. since we do it on the mulch, they just are dry and it's a great place. For, you don't need things to kind of hold up your, your vegetables when they're on top of the dry mulch. Right. But so here's the, is it time for me to talk about the, yeah, go okay. For it. So, I have just really been focusing on growing tons and tons of herbs, and um, I do. I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. One is um, we want to do bees eventually, and so a lot of these herbs are late flowering um, plants. So you have a lot of the flowers for the bees um, in the early spring from the trees and whatnot, and then in the late summer, all these herbs are coming into flower, and that's good for the bees. I also dry them and use them for culinary purposes, like, you know, oregano and sage, and then also dry them and use them for medicinal purposes. So, I mean, I I have this, how big is my backyard that I'm that I'm trying to fill up? Or maybe half acre. So I have this half acre area that I'm basically just putting tons and tons of herbs in. And I think the wise way to garden is to start with a small, small little garden and, you know, kind of every year grow from that. And that is the wise way, but that is just not my way. <laughs> I did from the, un- maybe not wise, but you know, you got to be yourself. So what I've done for the past three years is grow thousands of little herbs from seed and I have placed them in gardens and I couldn't do deep mulch. And Pete and I would have some arguments cause I'd ask Pete for, to like help me with the garden and then he'd come out and dump mulch all over it. And I'm like, what are you doing? I can't, I can't plant a seedling in this right. mulch. But Paul Gauchy said to mulch everything. I'm like, no, so, that mul- yeah, mulch okay. is not the answer to everything. Like PDP has become like right. mulch is the answer to everything right. in life. And I'm like, no, yeah. mulch does not work. Cause I have these little, so herbs are not like your, um, your squashes are <laughs> not like your cucumbers or your tomatoes. They don't grow huge in a year. They are so tiny and they're almost like on life support that first summer. They're just these little teeny tiny things. And, um, it's really, 
it's Give painful. Her, oh my goodness. Some of those herbs just, they Take, start out so small and they're so slow. And they just don't really grow. The first year, a lot of, some of them, some of them grow faster than others, but a lot of them, they don't fully flower that first year. They just are these tiny little things and, and maybe they're so you, fragile. Yeah, you've gardened a little bit. You're used to like a tomato and a tomato goes from seed to this, you know, Huge it could be thing. 12 feet tall in one year. Right. I mean, this is massive. And, and these little herbs, a lot of them, some of them grow fast, like the anise or anise, I don't. I, I still do not know how to say it, but that one Anise, that yeah. one grows really quickly. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that one grows really quickly and flowers really beautifully that first year. And then, oh my gosh, it just puts out seedlings everywhere. But that one I really like because it's quick. But a lot of the other ones just were super, super slow and pathetic looking. And it's almost embarrassing. Like, I work so hard and then I show people the garden and I'm like, oh. Okay. Right. This is embarrassing. It doesn't You're look like much. Politely, yeah, it's there's pathetic. nothing to look at. And I'm like yeah. showing people. This is my whatever. This is my oregano. It looks so pathetic. But um, so I can't put 12 to 18 inches of mulch over that because it would just completely kill it. Like yeah, one wood chip comes down and like squashes. Yeah. It. So it will have like a heavy rain and because I do have some mulch around it, but it just so easily gets squashed. So what we've decided to do because what so I put in like tons and tons of gardens in this half acre, and basically. Um, I can't keep up with all the weeds because I'm not doing the deep mulch. I'm just kind of basically turning over the grass and planting on top of it. And I um, I have to weed them. I mean, they, the weeds have really taken over and I'm okay with that. So it's kind of, it's a little embarrassing when I show people my herb garden and you see Pete's, you see what he's kind of taken the lead on, which is the, the forest garden, which is, you know, lots of deep mulch and it looks beautiful and looks perfect and there's no weeds and then you come over to my herb gardens and it's just weeds everywhere and I've kind of I'm I'm just like you know what I know this looks bad but I have a long-term vision and I'm okay with the weeds growing up with it because all I want them to do is just get established I want tons of herbs I want them to to take off and yes they're weedy but you know in a couple years they won't because I want these herbs to take over right so I've got mints that are taking over oregano that's taking over chamomile catmint bee balm or bergamot um um, hyssops, all kinds of hyssops, roses, and they're just going to kind of take over echinacea. I have echinacea everywhere. So um, they'll take over and eventually we will, we can deep mulch them when they get a little bit stronger and that would keep more of the weeds away. And also they grow so thick that I think they kind of fight out a lot of the weeds. Yeah. They they fight anything around the plant. They're strong. Like there's by the, that's what's so weird is they start out so weak and then the second year comes and it's this really strong plant. This year it is looking good. This year I'm kind of, well, it is looking good. And so, right. That's, that's then year two is we we're coming back to a lot of these gardens and putting, um, five or six inches of wood chips on top of them, which Jen, gives you that beautiful garden look where it oh, just it yeah. suppresses all the little dumb weeds that are underneath. Mm-hmm. And then even when some of those grow up, you get that effect where it's going to be soft and we just be able to pull them right out. Right, right. Um, but last year, my gosh, my valerian, it just looked like it had a death wish. Like it was just yeah. awful. And right now my valerian's looking great, my sages, my marshmallow. Yeah, like rose bushes. Um, everything. It, but it's it was embarrassing the first year. Like we are homesteaders and we have a podcast and this is the most pathetic looking yeah. garden that you've ever seen with weeds everywhere. Yeah. And now it's just, it's starting to look really good, but I had to be patient and I had to like, just be humble and be like, yeah, it looks awful, but I know what it will look like in a few years. Yeah. So I think we did the same thing with asparagus. We have maybe a hundred feet of asparagus growing and, and it's these tiny little crowns that we got. We did crowns and we put them in the ground and they just, it's this little flimsy fern thing coming up and you can't cover that in wood chips. So it was basically exposed down to the ground along that strip for the whole year and the weeds would come up, and it's kind of frustrating and annoying. And I pulled some of them, but I didn't worry about it too much. 
because I knew what was coming. Right. <laughs> By year two, that asparagus plant's really strong, and I'm able to put a couple inches of wood chips right over top of it, at least a couple inches. I, I, that's what I did. I probably could have handled more. And now there's no weeds. Right. Because the, the mulch is suppressing them. Meanwhile, right. the asparagus will just grow right up through it. Right. So you get that second year, and now it looks like a nice clean garden. Yeah. So Pete's been really sweet. He's been mulching, deep mulching my very established herbs, and they're looking so good. It's looking, it, Last year, it was like, you can see my herbs in here with a lot right. of, you can, if you look closely, you can see the herbs, and they're growing up with all the weeds. Yeah. And this year, they're, since they're so big, we are putting deep mulch over and them. And you were out there all year great. watering them, too. Yeah, I did. I watered them. But I won't be watering them um, so much this year. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you'll need to at all. We'll see. I mean, you can you can tell once they start to get yeah, a little get, wilty. If they but. get droopy. The valerian does need more water than most things, but um, yeah. that's okay. But what I did, so, you know, I did put in a ton, ton of garden. So um, I had two kind of ways of doing it. If it was a small area, I would just dig the dirt, flip it over, plant on the dirt, like kind of plant there. And then I would put a small layer of mulch and even a small layer of mulch would sometimes kill my little seedlings. So it, I mean, I wanted some mulch there, but it just, maybe I'm talking what, three inches, four inches. Yeah. And then sometimes it would kill it and I'd just be like, Oh, I don't want any mulch on these gardens, you know? Right. But, um, the other thing I did, I did this huge long border of Korean hyssop and cat mint and I couldn't dig that all out because how long would you say that is? I don't, I'm bad with it. I don't know. It's a long feet. It's a big garden. Yeah, it's huge. Um, I would say more. Maybe 150 feet. Yeah, more than the asparagus garden. Anyway, yep. I couldn't sit there and dig that out. So what I did in maybe February when the grass was dead, Pete got me this huge roll of paper. Like Yeah, so it's brown packing paper. Yeah, yeah, right. So maybe three and a half feet wide. So in February or so, and it sounds like a lot of work. I think homesteading is my part-time job, but I love it. I love my yeah. I love my job. You've been working hard um, on that garden. I would roll out the paper on this huge, huge fence line. Right. And then I would come through with a little wheelbarrow. I had a mulch guy dump a big pile of mulch for me and I would dump some mulch on the paper. Mm-hmm. And that was probably in Feb- warm I hate the cold, so I did it on warm days in in January, February or reasonably okay days. And then how much mulch would I do like Five inches or something? Not even. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you were doing it with a wheelbarrow. I thought I was doing more than I was actually doing. Yeah. But Pete was like, yeah. you're going to have weeds everywhere. I'm like, this is a ton of mulch. What are you talking about? Yeah. So I put some mulch on the paper, and then by spring, by planting time, by May, the, gra- the grass was completely dead, and the um, I could just kind of plant and the paper was gone so it was dirt so I would just plant down yeah. put my little seedlings in there and even with the small amount of mulch every once in a while I'll come out and a piece of mulch fell on my little seedling and killed it so um yeah, yeah that's what I did and it, it I think it'd be was, interesting to experiment with putting you know protection around the herbs if we can figure out a way to do that we've done that a little bit with cups where you cut the bottom out of it yeah but yeah. But then something moves the cup and it squashes it. And the so, dogs, like our yeah. dog, I mean, if you look at our garden, it's amazing. Like all of our fruit trees, it's just like, wow, we could never have grown all this without the dogs. Like we would have, the deer would have just eaten everything if we didn't have the dogs. But as great as the dogs are, they'll still trample on seedling, like step on seedlings and right. try not to get, I'm like so mad at them. If I, I'm like, get off this. <laughs> they, they just run on them and, and kill them. But the amount that they've saved, I can't get that mad at them. Yeah. Especially with little kids too. Right. It's hard, but I think you just have to expect that a certain number of things are going to get smashed. Yeah, that's hard. Our kids have come to learn you know, where the seedlings are, but you have some friends over and they don't know, and things get stepped on. So you know, it makes me very... I, I'll like, you know, mourn for a day when my seedling dies. And then, <laughs> but, but this year, it's finally looking like... 
a, a garden I'm proud of. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. I mean, I just have like this huge, even my oregano last year, oregano just takes over and it's painful when you go to the garden center and you see you're at home, you see your little seedling of oregano and then you go to the garden center and this huge thing of oregano and it's like, oh, right. oh why all that, you know, but now, you know, just wait a year. Now I have this huge, um, another fence line just filled with oregano yeah. and, um, so it's great. Yeah, it sure is. All right, so one more thing to talk about, and that is what do you plant? And so I've gotten tiny little trees online, and I've gotten big, huge trees from the nursery, and we've done a big mix of, of things in between. So it's really nice to go to a nursery and get a big tree that's already five feet tall and really strong and established, and that will save you time. That will give you a tree that will bear fruit a year or two sooner, for sure. And it's just nice to look at, you know, you order trees online and they come and it's this little, they call it a whip and it's, you know, it might be three feet of a single branch and you're like, this is the most pathetic tree ever. I, Pete's more patient than me. I walk through and I'm like, oh, yeah. it looks like you have just sticks coming out of the ground. But that's a lot cheaper. It's a whole lot cheaper. So if you're planting a lot of things and the online nurseries have way more selection, you know, you go to... Yeah, we have a nice nursery on here, but it still only has maybe seven or eight varieties of apple, and most of them aren't the kinds I want. You know, I'm doing a, I'm not spraying my orchard. At least I'm not going to be spraying it with anything that I wouldn't drink a glass of myself. We're we're going to experiment with spraying with some whey and and milk, but um, I'm not going to be spraying herbicide or fungicide or anything like that. That's for sure. And so I want to start with trees that are very naturally disease resistant. I want mm-hmm. them to be good varieties because I want them to taste really good. And then the other, that's that's probably number one. And then the other number one, or maybe number two, is that it's disease resistant. So, um, you know, a lot of the varieties that I wanted aren't in the stores. And then I wanted some cider apple trees and they didn't have those. And I wanted jujube trees and they didn't have those in the in the nursery. And, and same thing with the pear varieties and Asian pears and all these things. The nurseries might have a small selection, then, you know, not the things that I really, really want. So, I would go to the the nearby nurseries to get some trees just so you can get things a little faster and feel good about yourself having some some decent sized trees. And then I ordered a lot of stuff online and then you just have to be really patient with those. But mm-hmm. um, trying to get things that are disease resistant, I Where think do you are order really from important, especially for apples and pears. No, I get them from Burnt Ridge Nurseries. They seem to be a little bit cheaper than other places and they've been amazing. Everything I've gotten from them has been terrific. Yeah. So. Uh, super happy with them. They I, they did send me a couple peaches one year that never grew. <laughs> I don't know why, but they were really great about it, and they replaced them for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was nice. And then, uh, yeah, the plum trees go super fast, mm-hmm. and so it's nice to get some plum trees. Even if you get small ones of those, they grow really fast. Yeah, we already have plums coming on our plum trees. Yeah, they're so growing. Really oh, I hope we get some this year. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's just a lot of other neat varieties, and you can go to Rain Tree Nursery is another one. I think there's a number of them that are are just have a lot of neat permaculture type plants. So mm-hmm. we end up with a lot of things like pawpaw trees that are really exciting. Well, you're doing a lot of fruit that I'd never even heard of, like um, yeah, jujube. I don't even right jujube and elderberry and pawpaw and gooseberry and there's a number of things that are just very hardy plants that grow really really well um, here in Maryland and probably throughout a lot of the United States. And they're not things you find at the grocery store. Well, I know why you don't find pawpaws because they they don't store. But why don't you see like the other things like goji berries and 
I don't know. I mean, you can find dried goji berries at the store now because they're so healthy. People are starting to learn that. And mm-hmm. you'll, every once in a while, you'll see elderberry extract in, in some things because that's also very medicinal. But my guess is that for one reason or another, they just don't lend themselves to being cultivated in a mass way, oh. you know, or, or, or maybe people just aren't familiar with them enough. You or know? maybe they don't taste that great. Yeah. Know. Or maybe they don't. Right. Um, Right. I mean, we ate the pawpaws. I mean, you love them, but I don't. I don't know if I trust your taste a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, they weren't. They, well, a lot of people. Well, they were wild pawpaws. Me. They weren't cultivated, but they weren't yeah. like, oh my gosh, I want to eat. It wasn't that. I mean, it was really sweet. I, it wasn't yeah. like the most amazing taste, but I'm so excited to have them and replace them with bananas and yeah. make smoothies with them and yeah. things like that. A lot of the permaculture books are going to have uh, information about those. I just read Edible, Edible Landscaping with a Permaculture Twist by Michael Judd. He's here in Maryland, but he's a good one that talks about these alternative type plants mm-hmm. that you might want to have in your garden as well. Neat. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up, but we do recommend watching the Back to Eden film because the deep mulch method has been wonderful. I mean, it's just really allowed us to do everything that we're doing on a a mass scale. And also just remember to be patient with your gardens. Like you're going to fail. Things are not going to work. And that's just part of gardening. It's part of life. It's, I don't know. I just really so many life lessons from gardening and you've got to be patient and you've got to be willing to learn and you've got to be willing to make mistakes. Yep. Um, there's my nice preaching lecture for today. No, it's really <laughs> true though. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and don't give up when you make a mistake. Cause I mean, we have made so many gardening mistakes. We've had to redo things and, you know, it's part of part of life. Yeah. But and don't be discouraged. So yeah, I mean, happy spring and put some things in the ground <laughs> other than grass. <laughs> Let your dandelions grow. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.